everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. What an absolute inspiring story we are bringing to you with Aaron Volpatti. And Aaron grew up in Revelstoke, British Columbia, out in Western Canada. Played his junior hockey out there before going to Brown University, where he was a two-year captain. He then went on to play multiple years in the NHL, particularly for Washington and his hometown, Vancouver Canucks. This story comes with a lot of heartbreak. This story comes with a lot of resiliency, which are things that we love to talk about on this podcast because it's a necessary piece to becoming great at what you do, going through the ups and the downs. But his downs, you know, he was somebody that in a fire almost died and then worked his way up into going to get an Ivy league degree, a great education, and then playing in the NHL as somebody who wasn't necessarily a skilled player either. So just a fantastic and unbelievably inspiring and heartwarming story. A lot of life lessons in this one, but before we do get over to Aaron, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey GMBM, Jehu, the hot guy of the podcast, the talent of the podcast, Lavecchio. Vex. Hey, Toph, you said it. Everybody's thinking it. What's up, bro? <laughs> <laughs> you like this new GMBM hat? This thing's I do. Gross, Is that right? new? That's really yeah, nice. I just, I just uh, designed these. You know, it's like black and white, not too hard to design, but I thought <laughs> it's your day. logo on a black <laughs> hat and white. No, but I know I fluttering. usually do. I usually do the black on black and I was just sitting there the other night and I was like, I think black, white on black and look cool. You know, a lot of designing, you know, this brain's got a lot going on. So yeah, I just got these in the mail from my guys at Humble Hockey who make my line of clothing. Not a big deal. Check it out. GMBM was that. Uh, yeah, man, just got back from Florida, had a little uh, quick vacay with my GF uh, and my, uh, my parents. And it was awesome before the summer onslaught really, really starts more and more guys are coming back every day. Pro seasons are ending. So I'm about to be slammed in the gym and it's my favorite time of year personally, cause I get to work with all the boys, get them all going, get them confident again and uh, healthy and going back into the season, ready to go. Isn't that awesome? The best time of the year is the biggest grind of the year. It's such like a yeah. cool thing, you know? Yeah, dude. I mean, people who don't like, like people don't like working hard. I don't know. I'm not a fan of those people. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm just being honest. I have a high, like I said, but you know, in the pre-show we were talking, I, you asked me how my vacay was going and something I need to be better at obviously is learning how to relax and enjoy the slow times, you know? And that's something I've been working on, but uh, happy to be back with the boys. Drove 12 hours straight back from Florida because we had our dogs and I don't like putting them under the plane. So we drove 12 hours straight back so that I could uh, get in the gym on Thursday and not miss another day. So loved being back with the boys, ready to go and excited to talk about this podcast because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this has got to be like one of our top three longest podcasts we've ever done because this guy's story is literally knocking futz. Like, Oh my <laughs> God. I, I got off the podcast and I, I was went over to my mom's house that night. I had to do something over there. And I was like, mom, me and Toph, we're looking at each other and our jaw was dropped for probably 25 to 30 straight minutes listening to this insane story of this yeah. guy's life. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. There was a time when he was talking about his story when I re it was like almost it was like quiet. 
he was yeah. talking, but like nothing around one of those things where you're like complete and total attention is focused on whatever is happening right in front of you. And we were mystified by what was going on. And so you'll, you'll like, you, you'll hear the story, you know, in a little bit, but my God, I mean, you're talking about a kid that like 18, 19 years old, and he's got this dream of playing college hockey, kind of, <laughs> kind of. And, and then he gets into this freak accident where he like basically almost burns to death. Uh, and he's up in the mountains and has to get taken to a hospital and there's no hospitals around. And man, like you're just sitting here listening to this story, like, Oh my God. And then for him, like he wore a freaking bodysuit for two years after that while he played hockey not like he played division one hockey yeah and it's just absolutely incredible and and the other piece of the story too is like here's this kid who's again not necessarily a skilled hockey player by by definition and and he goes on to take some of these things that he's had happen to him and then he goes on to play in the nhl plays for his hometown vancouver canucks and then plays with ovechkin in 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 washington you know just unbelievable story you guys are going to absolutely love it you're going to be like uh, again we were on zoom so we're watching him as he's telling the story but i can just imagine just listening to the story and like the um the like pictures in your head about being on a mountain and basically on fire and your friends like trying to tackle you to get the like my god crazy it's wild and the 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 overarching theme is uh, of this whole podcast too is like you know visualization and positive thinking and all of these things that you're going to hear that got him not only through this traumatic uh incident that happened to him but how he then used that a few years later to help him propel himself to be an NHL hockey player, which it's, it's unbelievable. And what's even cooler now, he's coming out with a book, which you're going to hear at the end of the podcast. And he literally does coaching on pretty much visualization, yeah, you know, and, and mindset and stuff like that. And just, you know, everybody knows how big I am on this. If you follow me on Instagram at Jeff Levecchio, what's up? Blue um, check mark. Thank you very much. Blue check mark. If you follow me, you see in my gym, I have what is your why painted in there. And every single day I have the guys do goal setting in their head with their eyes closed visualization before every single effing workout. We do that. I'm so, so big into that. So to hear this guy who literally willed himself not only out of a burn unit into college hockey, but then into the freaking NHL. You guys are going to love this. You know, I knew Patty personally when I was playing in the American League and he was in college. We were in the same city. He's a great dude. He's a team guy. You're going to, this this story is, it's intense. And for the parents who are listening with their younger kids, the, the story is a little bit graphic, just so you know. So just something to think about. I think they'll be okay, but it is pretty intense. Very intense. And as you're talking right now, and as just like thinking back to the story, one of the sayings that I kind of, try to live by right now is things don't happen to you things happen for you and so you can take any situation and if you frame it in that way like the tough stuff now becomes something that can motivate you to change or get better or just get through it you know depending on how how tough the situation is and like listen every day we're faced with challenges some big some not so big and some really, really big. <laughs> and so, um, it, you know, I think when I heard that, I think it was Tony Robbins, like he had a Netflix special when the first I heard that, and it kind of just like clicked in my head, like, wow, 
that is very just, I don't know if powerful is the right word, but just makes so much sense. The things that happen to you, they don't happen to you. They happen for you, for you to grow, for you to learn, for you to get better. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all looking to do is we just want to be a little bit better today than we were yesterday, whether it's as a player, whether it's as a coach, whether it's a parent, whether it's a husband, brother, whatever it may be, coworker, employee, employer. We just want to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. And this story, I 100% believe, will make all of us better after after hearing it. Very inspiring stuff. So true, man. And I love that. And you know, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, and I say this to my girlfriend Kylie all the time because you know she's she's one of those people who's says uh everything happens for a reason and i tell her all the time like you know you think whatever you want like i hate that saying i hate that saying i feel like that's a saying that people who lose say uh and it's kind of i think it's more of like a cop-out i don't think everyone thinks of it that way but i i think words have power words have weight words have meaning and so saying you know a bad thing happens oh everything happens for a reason no f that what you just said i like that mindset Way, well, it's, for way, me, it's the same more. thing. See, I don't think me, it's, it's the same, same thing. thing. I, don't, I think it's the same thing to some people because Ooh, some combat. people, Let's go. some people use a negative or a setback, whatever, for a setup. Like we've talked about Ricky Mendez. That was his saying, you know, I love that. But I think some people, when bad things happen, they, you know, they sit on their, 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 their hands and they're just like, well, you know, and then people be like, Hey, everything happens for a reason. You're going to be okay. No F that not. You're going to be okay. Make that thing that happened to you, that setback, make it work for you. Like you just said, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. So whatever it is, you get cut, you get injured, you get this, you get that. You find a way to make it, make you a better you. you, you force it to make you better through perspective, through, you know, a different lens, through learning a new skill, whatever it is, you have to make it work for you so that you get better from both the good and the bad. And I think people who use that, oh, everything happens for a reason. I think that too many people then use that as a cop out and are like, oh, something good will come from this. No, make something good come from it. Well, I guess it's all based on the connotation you take from the saying, because I, I think of everything happens for a reason. Like I've said that my entire life. That's one thing that my parents always said, <laughs> being five foot four and trying to play in the NHL. Hey, everything happens for you. You got cut for a reason it's because you need to get better. Like, you know, this thing happened to you. Like you tore your ACL. All right. It happened for a reason. It's because what are you going to learn from it? Right. So I guess it's just the connotation that you take from it. And I totally agree with you. It's so easy when something bad happens to you to blame that thing for yep. the reason why Uh, whatever didn't happen. And that's what's, that's what probably 90% of people on earth do because that's the easy thing to do. Right. So I, I see it differently. I see we're, we're speaking the same language. It's one of those political. I'm saying there's an extra. (laughs) (laughs) I just think there's an extra step involved with saying that first, because then you have to say, you know, like you said, what did you just say? You said, uh, you know, oh, you got cut. It happened for a reason because you need to get better. Like there's another step there. And I think that there are people out there who don't hit that second step. They just are like, oh, you know, it happens for a reason. Something else will come along. Like, no, like that's not the way I ever learned it. Yeah, you didn't. You're not that type of person, a hundred percent, but there are people out there who are like that. And I like want it to be like, anything good happens. Great. Like learn from it, get better. Anything bad happens. Great. Learn from it. You're immediately better. And I just want that mindset shift to be like immediate rather than like, Oh, poor me. No F that noise. Get after it. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
And speaking of getting better, I think the hockey think tank is getting a little bit better. What do you think? <laughs> oh, baby, hot stuff coming down the pipe. Yeah, I, I'm really excited, guys. And so we announced last week, I'm going back to doing the hockey think tank full time again. And I'm really, really excited. We're going to be doing things a lot differently. And I think we're going to have a much bigger impact on the hockey world and the world at large from these changes that we're making. And, and first of all, before I talk about it, I, I do want to thank so many people for reaching out after I made that um announcement last week i had people of all what like former players former teammates former coaches uh parents of kids that i've coached like everybody reaching out being like almost like this is what you were made to do i'm glad you're doing this again and it was just really humbling to to hear from so many different people also very humbling to hear from so many people that want to work with me with this stuff now whether it's the team building stuff the mentoring stuff i mean all the things that we have going on I, i'm just very very grateful to this little community that we've built here with the hockey think tank through the podcast through the team building through all the other stuff that i and we have have been able to do and so i'm really really pumped and really really stoked and the one thing i did want to talk about and we talked about this before going on is that yes this is very exciting this is very 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 exciting for me for you for us for our families in in doing some of this stuff but what i want people to really know is that like it's really cool what's going to be going on but the amount of work that has gone into building this thing to be able to do this is literally insane and i don't think enough people talk about that enough you know, we see the end result of X, Y, or Z. Big announcement, people are excited, going to have a lot of work, working with teams and, and, and beyond. However, like, there was four or five years of getting up before my kids got up and posting stuff on social media. Hours of, of watching hockey, business planning, building of websites when we had no freaking idea how to build a website. Um, you know, for you, Vex, with, with what you're doing, doing this part-time as a player, you know, building it up into what you've been able to build it with your client list. And then I can't even imagine the amount of hours it took to film and do all this stuff to make sure you can go online. And now it's very, very, very successful, but we don't talk enough about the grind of what makes things successful as a whole. I think we try to do that a lot on this podcast. And while I'm very, very grateful for like, you know, the, the fanfare, let's call it of what this has, has built up into. I also have so many people to thank for helping me to grind through this stuff. My wife helped me so much in the website and the business planning for, you know, this next phase of the hockey think tank. Obviously you and I grinded out with this podcast. Um, Two a week for what? A, over a year? Over Two a week. year over when a we year. first started it. And, you know, with the editing and the scheduling and the finding of guests and making sure that our schedules can align, you leaving the gym for an hour and a half to come back and be able to do this, me restructuring things in, in my schedule to be able to do this, you know, um, it's just a very valuable lesson and something to talk about because, you know, and again, if, if kids who are listening, you watch players in the NHL, that's what we see. We don't see the hours upon hours upon hours of work that are put into getting them there. We don't see mom and dad and all of the sacrifices that they have made 
to allow these kids to follow and pursue their dreams. And so we need to talk about the journey much, much more as a whole, as a society, as a hockey community, more, 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 more. And so I just like, I'm very, very grateful for this stuff, but I, I do like, I'm so grateful for the work and, and the grind that it's gotten to here today too. I love it, man. I love it. And I feel like sometimes when people say like, I'm proud of you, it sounds like you're like condescending, like talking down to them, but like, obviously not at all. I look up to you, but like proud of you because I know that, you know, when you got out of coaching years ago with Cornell, you were kind of like, well, kind of like you were going to do this hockey think tank, kind of what's next. You're exciting. And with every business, just like every hockey career, any career, there's the ups and the downs, you know, and I've kind of seen like, you know, the ups and the downs over the last, you know, four years of doing this stuff with you every single week. And it's so cool um, to see the successes you've had and to see how you've picked yourself back up from an idea that maybe, you know, you thought was going to set the hockey world on fire and it, it didn't catch on for whatever reason. And then you'd go back, you tweak it, you make it better. And now, you know, now we're speaking to freaking fortune 500 businesses, teaching them about culture. And we've got people flying us out, you know, later in the summer to work with these massive, massive worldwide companies you know, doing this stuff and you're, you're, it's just, it's so cool. And like, you know, any parents out there, any kids out there listening, like it's the same thing. And this is why Tolf and I are obsessed with the game of hockey, because when you learn how to, how to be a resilient athlete from sports, when you learn how to have mental toughness to go through those hard times, when you learn responsibility and dedication and being on time, being a team player, like literally Every single thing that you can learn from the game, being a better you doesn't mean you got to make the NHL to learn these things. You just got to have the, 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 the want to, to get better and then to do everything to get better. It will literally make you a successful citizen, human worker, business owner, whatever you will learn so freaking much. And we are where we are today because we played the game of hockey and we learned all those things. So when Tolf hit a tough time or I hit tough times during COVID and I had to spend tens of thousands of dollars just to keep my gym open um, and everybody apart and all this cleaning and all this bull crap, like literally like resiliency. And we learned that from hockey. Absolutely. And one of the words that you just said, because I've been thinking about this word, it's so funny you said that, is obsessed. I think, you know, that's a word. It's a tricky word because tricky. an obsession can be a very, very good thing, but it can also be a very, very bad thing too. And, and I think about kind of my trajectory and my journey and where I'm at right now. You know, we spent however many years obsessed with wanting to play in the NHL, probably from age six to the age of 20 for me, it was probably 23, 24 when I, you know, got cut from the East coast league and got traded in the central league all within six months. <laughs> and then I, ah, maybe I but then I became obsessed with coaching in college, uh, uh, you know, which was great, but also burnt me out, like completely burnt me out because I didn't, I didn't have the skills necessary to understand compartmentalization, to understand the, the importance of, you know, taking a break uh, and things like that. And I got burnt out by it. And obviously learn that it's one of those resiliency pits that, that we all kind of face, you know, and, and then it's searching for the next obsession. For me, I have a bit of an addictive personality and like, I need to be obsessed with something. And I've, I've found through a lot of trials and tribulation, coaching youth hockey, being a youth director and, and all these different things, starting the hockey think tank, dipping my feet in, doing it full time, going back to like, just having a bunch of these different experiences. I've found my next obsession. It was really funny. Like I was talking to Em about this and she was kind of laughing at me, but like, 
my obsession is how can we make people and how can we make organizations the best that they can be? That is my obsession right now. And, you know, I've done this team building. I've had all these different life experiences. I even got my master's degree in in sports performance and behavior. Um, But I've also talked to so many different people in the business world and the consulting world and and all these different disciplines, the military, like what makes people great? Like, how can we be the best that we can be individually and as a group? And I am literally obsessed with that right now. And I am obsessed with taking what I've learned and giving that to other people so they can be the best that they can be and they can reach their dreams. It's such a, we talk about this all the time, dude. Like it's such a freaking powerful thing to have a big dream. It's so, so powerful. But at the end of the day, like we have to understand and recognize what it takes to be able to reach that dream. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. And you need help with that. And I needed help with that. There are things that I look back at now that I wish I would have known you know, as, as we do these podcasts and we learn from different people about all of this different stuff. And like, I am literally obsessed right now with wanting to make people and teams better and achieve their dreams. And so dude, like I I cannot wait to work with whoever wants to work with us and work with me. And it's just going to be such a fun ride. And yeah, so content tofer at the hockey think tank.com go to the website like i said my my wife built this entire new website and it's unbelievable so she's a rock star absolute beauty and so go to the hockey think tank.com um you know email me tofer at the hockey think tank and let's work together guys like i can't wait to get this thing off the ground and keep going already had a couple different mentor sessions one of the things that i'm doing is one-on-one mentoring like what you do vex and i had one with uh with a youth coach uh and i had one with a family just a, a mom and a dad and a son they were trying to figure out what what to do next year do i go to prep school or do i play u18 AAA hockey and so like with our experiences we feel like we have a lot of perspective that can help some people so man like i'm just so jacked for this and uh can't wait vex you and i the thing i'm really really excited about too is like you said like we're teaming up to do business team building taking what we've learned in the sports world and taking that to the business world uh you've already spoken with fortune 500 companies as have i and we're we're like gonna make this thing huge i know there's a lot of parents that listen to this podcast might have some companies if you want us to come in and work with your group we would be more than happy to do that and share what we've learned do some team building activities some connection building activities vex with your visualization and and a lot of the stuff that you do um guys like this is this i'm so pumped man so pumped next level baby and and yeah dude so pumped so excited so willing to teach people you know my speech that i that i give to these companies um it's what makes elite athletes elite and how can you translate to that to like the business world and uh you know people leave leave that that speech just ready to run through a wall so i'm I'm, <laughs> I'm stoked man we're fire and ice you and i i love hanging out with you i'm excited to go on these trips and and help these businesses just work on their culture because we all know if you can find it's the same in the business world as it is in the sporting world if you can find one percent when you're at the top of your game like that one percent is massive and that is our goal to get your company a little bit better a little bit functioning better a little bit more camaraderie a little bit better culture so that you know that one percent winds up being whatever hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars whatever it means for your company we're going to be there to help you guys so we're, we're stoked for this let's go baby let's go 
Um, yeah, so reach out to us. Vex has a blue check mark. You can find him on Instagram at Jeff Lavecchio. <laughs> and then email me at Tofer at the hockey think tank.com. And uh, yeah, super excited for that. Also super excited. We said we were going to have a short intro. I think this is probably a little bit longer than <laughs> we wanted to getting in it. But um, we also want to thank our title sponsor in gel sticks. Go to G E L S T X dot com and use the coupon code think tank one word to get a discount on your weighted training sticks thank you to train heroic jeff's training app go to your phone download the app get jeff's ripped hockey workouts for anybody that wants it whether you want to be an elite athlete whether you want to just get a little bit healthier whatever it may be go to train heroic app on your phone download it we also want to thank icehockeysystems.com your premier resource for all your coaching and hockey education needs we have teamed up with them to do an association platform where you can get this for every single coach in your organization along with all of your parents we have partnered with them to do the Hockey Think Tank Parent Survival Guides. You get that for all of your parents as well. So phenomenal, phenomenal resource. Go to icehockeysystems.com. Look up the associations tab and you can get this for everyone in your association. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Last but not least, to all of our amazing listeners, we love you guys. You guys are going to get so much out of this episode with Aaron Volpati. Just a, what a journey this guy has had. He's gone through so much different stuff uh, to make the NHL so, so cool. This will be one of the, the best episodes to listen in your car with your kids. So without further ado, here we go with Aaron Volpati. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He is in one of my favorite cities in the entire world, Kelowna, British Columbia in Western Canada. And Aaron Volpati, what's going on, my man? How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's good to be here. Good to see you guys. Good to see you Woo! too. Good to see you too. You are our, uh, I think, third brown bear that we've had on here. Oh, yeah. months we had roger grillo your former coach and uh and now a third brown bear so former right. adversaries <laughs> big shoes to fill <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely so hey we're, we're excited to have you on you got such a unique story um that's in, incredible as someone who you know we were talking before this was pretty much a fighter in, in junior hockey as your role going on to play you know parts of six years in the nhl and and pro hockey and that's uh you know i'm sure that doesn't come with a whole lot of or without a whole lot of adversity and and uh some tough times and, and fighting your way through it and i can't wait to get through all of that stuff but before we do that let's introduce you to our listeners and you grew up in revelstoke british columbia great little ski town um right up there in in central bc and uh if you can just tell us how you fell in love with the game yeah, I think similar to a lot of Canadian kids, just got on a pair of skates at a super young age, maybe three years old, something like that. And my dad made a little makeshift rink out of the garden and tin boards and just threw me out there and flying around. And yeah, I really fell in love with it at a super young age. And, you know, all, all my, the Revelstoke's a pretty small town, right? It's less than 10,000 people. Uh, so, you know, you kind of know everyone and your, your buddies all play hockey and it was just street hockey in the summer, pond hockey in the winter. And then, you know, you join minor hockey and off you go. Right. So yeah, definitely quintessential Canadian kid story, I guess, fell in love with that at a super, super young age. So I love it. How everybody from Canada that comes on here is like, yeah, that's just what I'm the same. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. And everybody like prefaces it with us. Yep. Typical, typical Canadian story. Yeah, I wish I could tell you I, I didn't take it up till 12 or something. <laughs> but, yeah. 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, you know, kind of going up through your, your youth hockey and then, you know, really interesting talking about your, your role playing junior hockey, playing the BCHL for, I think it was Vernon. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I coached 16 youth, so 15 and 16 year olds this year. And nobody really knows what junior hockey is until you get there. Everybody has this idea, but nobody really knows how difficult it can be and how a lot of players really have to morph their game at some point when they get there, because it's the first time for a lot of these kids that they're not the best player on the team or there's different roles on a team and and things like that. And you're getting coached hard. And so, you know, for you talking beforehand, talking about how your role is a little bit more black and blue and, and you had to fight a bit when you were there. What was that transition like for you going from minor hockey, youth hockey into all of a sudden this business of junior hockey? And now all of a sudden, are you being asked to, to fight? Are you being asked to play a different role? What was your relationship like with your coach and how did you cope with just how difficult or just maybe different that was? Yeah, that's a good question. For, for me, I was always, I could always hit and I could always skate from a really young age. So I always had that. And I always had a knack for the hitting, um, you know, timing and hitting through guys versus just hitting guys. Right. Um, one of, one of those guys that just, <laughs> when you hit, you hit, yeah. you don't want to be hit by that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I always had that knack. Um, and, but like we talked about before jumping on here, like I, I was never really that good. You know, I, I was a good minor hockey league player. Like we all were. Right. Um, but I got cut from select teams and, and shit like that. Um, so for me, I, I was going to go play junior A in Vernon and they were stacked. And like you said, when a lot of people don't know about the junior thing and when you move up that level, that filter goes like this and now everyone's that much better. And that was when, I mean, this is 2003 for me, it was still pretty nasty then, right? Junior hockey was, it was different than it is oh, now. Yeah. And uh, so there's those there's like four or five of those roles on, you know, spots on the team, not none now or one or maybe whatever it is. Right. So yeah, there was an opportunity there for me. The fighting came from hitting for me, you know, I was never a fighter first, um, but I was blowing guys up and it's just, you know, it's naturally going to come. But yeah. that being said, I, I, I embraced that role. And I think that's what really helped me. Um, and I, I don't know. I think, I don't know if you guys see the game a little bit changing back to the old style of it's heavy. It's, it's still pretty fit. It's physical and it's still mean. And I feel like it's kind of switching a little bit. Uh, I don't watch a ton of hockey, but it's kind of the feeling I get. And I'm not saying that the, like the enforcer is going to come back, but I think, you know, even for the young kids, like the, it's so important to define that role, right? For me, it was always defined. There was no questions for me. And um, I had good mentors along the way that helped me. Like my junior B coach even was like, don't forget who you are. You aren't that. This is who you are. And, he, and I knew that. Um, Why did you go to that league then? If you, had, if you were already comfortable in that role and you liked hitting guys, you know, even before you played juniors, um, why would you go to that league over, you know, major junior? Dude, Major Junior wasn't even an option for me. I didn't get any invites to those get thing, those camps. Wow. No, I wasn't that. I mean, like, I really wasn't that good. I, I snuck into Junior A. Wow. Did yeah. you have to turn heads at camp or, like, by fighting and hitting and all that and go in and unknown? 
Oh yeah. I mean, so my grade 12 year, I, I was starting to get attention from when I was playing junior B. So they actually, Vernon wanted me to come there for my grade 12 year, but they said, you're probably not going to stay here for the whole year. We want you just to be here. They liked my game as a fourth liner, you know, for that year and the next year, but they were just honest, which, which I appreciated, but um, they, and they were affiliated with Grand Forks, which is just another small town. And I, I just, I talked to my family and I'm like, I'm just going to graduate at home man. I'll play the first line and on junior B. And I think it, it helped me out doing that. So, yeah, I mean, I know kids are in such a rush to move on. Like for me, I'm like, I didn't have at the time dreams of pro hockey. Like it was never even on my radar. And we'll get into that later. So I was like 24 years old. So for me, I'm like, if I can get a, an education out of this, that's my, that's my NHL. Right. So, wow. yeah, man, I, like for me, I'm like, I'm going to graduate at home. I'm going to hang out with my buddies and uh, I'll go to Vernon the next year. And, um, but I, I mean, I wasn't guaranteed a spot, right. You're still fighting for those last couple spots. And like, they were number one in Canada for like three or four years there. Um, Who was so, coaching there at the time in Vernon? Vandekamp. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Mike okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I got to know him in my recruiting days at, at Cornell. He was coaching in Nanaimo. Nanaimo. Yeah. At the time. Yeah, you guys had a feeder system there with Nanaimo. We right? had, uh, yeah, you could probably call it the farm team at, at one point. I think oh, in, oh, when yeah. I was, yeah, when I was playing, I want to say we had five or six kids on our team that played in Nanaimo. Yeah. So, um, Vandy wasn't there at the time. It was Billy Bestwick, um, oh, right. was, was coaching the team, but yeah, it's, uh, interesting how, uh, yeah, he's, he's tough coach to play for likes those tough guys for sure. Yeah. yeah he, him and I got on well, he liked the way I played. Right. And he, yeah. he an opportunity, um, but yeah, we hated to lose. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think again, we, we talk about this and we know we have a lot of kids that listen to this podcast and, and I just think it's such a valuable thing to talk about the marathon route to, to where you got to. And you mentioned, you know, staying at home an extra year to, to be the guy on the team and how you felt felt like that helps you to, yeah. to round out your game. Because even though if you're, you're kind of, role is to play more third, fourth line and, and to be a little bit heavier and stuff, you still have to be able to play, right? Like you still have to be able to make a play. You have to be able to put the puck in the net and do other things other than just run people over. And yeah. so the more versatile you are, the the better it is. And, and so many people, like you said, are in such a rush to get to the next level at the end of the day, like marathon is most of the time better. <laughs> because you yeah. get to there's something about being the guy and there's something about getting those minutes and having that confidence to be able to do it scotty bartlett's an nhl agent we had him at our our uh hockey think tank conference a few years back Fex, i don't know if you remember when we had that agents panel and he said he like that's kind of what he was talking there's something about being the guy there's a confidence to it a little bit of a swagger to it that you can develop by having the coach wanting to throw you over the boards in a lot of these different types of situations and maybe having a little bit more rope to, you know, make some plays and things like that. And just that, that yeah. confidence of being the guy that like, that's what really kind of translates to Everything. the next level. Right. You know, it's just, it, so it's yeah. such a great lesson. No, totally. I, yeah. I mean, the, I'll leave that off with like, for me, like speaking of the marathon. So I always just, every time I jumped up a level, I reverted back to hitting and fighting because I had to, I had to stay in leagues that way. And then I'd establish myself that way. And then I'd add those layers, you know, I'd get on the PK the next year, uh, 
I'd maybe get on the score sheet a little bit, like not a lot, but I mean, my only my last year at Brown did I really explode offensively. But before that, I never did, you know? And like Vex, you asked me about major junior, like this wasn't an option. Like I had one goal my first year in Vernon, one goal in game yeah. like 55. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I had one, that. I had one my first year junior too. Did you? Really? Game, th- game 31. I think I played 32 games. I had scored in the 31st game. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I, uh, I got to, I'll give you a quick, funny Mike Vandekant story. So my first year, this is when one pieces came out. Right. So this is when like the synergy in that blue vector, you remember that thing? So uh, my, Oh yeah. Yeah. My parents brought me one of those. It was like game 35 and you know, I hadn't scored a goal and they're like trying to help me out or whatever. Right. And so they give me this a pregame skate, but Vandy sees them give it to me. And I, he just scowled at me. He's probably thinking like, better not be thinking for a goal scorer or something. Right? <laughs> and uh, so the game starts that night. I go down on my first shift and I whiff this shot from the top of the circles, like in the corner. <laughs> and I get back to the bench and he comes storming down the, and he's, he's like purple. And he's like, what the, is that? Like, give me that. And he heaves it down, gets the trainer to pass me a big, co- one of the DN's co-host sticks. And he looks <laughs> at me in the eyes and he goes, you don't come off the ice until that's broken over someone. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. I'm, like, I, I'm asking the guys on our team. I'm like, is he joking? And they're like, I don't think so, man. I would probably do it. So I go out and I just tomahawk this guy next to me. <laughs> <laughs> of course it doesn't break right <laughs> do it again doesn't break just full line brawl i go in the box for like the whole period and uh we ended up winning the game and vandy came he came comes and gives the pumps and the fists and the handshakes and he just gives me this little smirk i'm like this guy's crazy <laughs> wow. but, uh, yeah. unreal what unreal. a story I didn't use the vector anymore <laughs> we had that we had an incident like kind of like that not totally like that but in junior hockey so barry shooty was our assistant coach he's now an assistant coach at miami of ohio awesome guy awesome coach and we i can't remember what it was i think it was like guys kind of wanted one piece sticks but wasn't in the budget you know junior hockey's not in the budget to do that at that point and so yeah. we had two piece six or whatever and there were a bunch of guys that were like complaining about the sticks that they bought us and stuff like that and and so barry takes like the leadership group back and he goes are you guys freaking kidding me we're like what do you mean he goes when i was playing it was here you go here's a left titan or here's a right titan now go play (laughs) and you guys are you know complaining about one or two pieces and shafts and curves and whatever it is like just go play i think i feel like there's a lot of like snobbery in in uh in hockey right now especially at the youth levels like if if uh you know everybody's got to get their skates sharpened at the right whatever it is one half or five eighths or i I don't even know Uh, or like the sticks and like it's just like man just like just go play. It's not that big of a deal. Although we did have Adam Oates on the podcast last week and he said, no, the stick really does matter, but either way. <laughs> I got a funny Oatsy story for you later then too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Did yeah, you, you play for me Washington? Hey, did you play for yeah. me Washington? Yeah. My first year, our first two years, first two years there. Um, yeah. About All right. It's, it's pretty funny, but All I was right. say, do you guys remember the Flaro sticks? You ever use those? Or oh yeah. I never used it, but I remember it. That was my junior B stick and they would, the shafts would permanently bow 
Oh. So like guys would be like reverse flexing it to straighten it out. Before <laughs> <they came> <laughs> oh my God. Unreal. Well, well let's, let's get back to your journey here, Patty, because you know, you went through something that almost ended your career and it really, as we talk about it, I mean, it happens so many times. A lot of times our darkest days is actually um, the thing that ends up being why we ended up making it in the end. You know, Vex has talked about that. I've talked about that in, in our journeys. And you went through a very traumatic event that almost yeah. ended your career at, what were you, 18, 19 years old, something like that? Yeah, I was 19, almost 20. So it was after my second year in Vernon. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if, if you can just, uh, you know, talk about, that event and you know as we kind of go through it i know that has led to your mindset being the way that it is and and i would venture a guess to say that the event and you changing whatever it is that you changed um allowed you to to have such a successful career in in hockey yeah you're you're absolutely right so um yeah so this is after my second year in vernon we go and we do our week-long party thing that we do every year right um, and so we go camping and I was, uh, I was a bit of a daredevil. I shouldn't say a little bit. I was, I was like the guy that the life of the party and I would do stupid things. And, you know, I was just that guy, right? I thought I was invincible, couldn't be hurt, couldn't be touched. Uh, like a lot of, or maybe not a lot, but some, you know, young kids and young men are right. Um, so I was definitely that guy. And the year before, I was kind of like doing my own spin on the Molotov cocktail thing, right? So I was messing with gas and fire and, and drinking and doing all these stupid things. And I mean, I like to tell this story candidly because, and, and honestly, because that's just, you know. That's how we do. That's how we get the message across, right? Yep. So, so yeah, so this was my first year I, I was doing that and messing around and did, did this pyro show, right? So the next year after our second year, or my second year, I'm like, okay, how can I make this bigger and better, right? And get a rise and be the life of the party. And well, the answer was more gas, right? <clears throat> so instead of, so I warmed up with a few beer bottles. So what I do is I, I slug the beer, I'd fill it up with gas and I'd put the lid back on the bottle and I'd make this little like rock nest in the fire and I'd place it in there. And after a few minutes, it would like flamethrower into the air right not smart obviously and so this this second year i i decided to use wine bottles so i filled two wine bottles up with gas so i have a sweater on i'm at this i'm at we're in the middle of nowhere we're like no service 30 minutes out of town and i have these two wine bottles full of gas and i'm waiting you know i'm kind of riling people up right kind of get them excited or whatever in the life of the party like i said and i'm walking around and all of a sudden i'm soaking wet so those two bottoms of those wine bottles in my sweater hit and and busted and i so now i have all this gas on me and like i know that i mean i'm drinking obviously but i know there's a fire right there but i didn't respect the gas and and the dangers that those fumes because they're super dense right so i had this i learned all this later right obviously but I had this cloud basically around me that was ready to, you know, light up basically because I had enough gas on me that those fumes settle and the fumes are, you know, as explosive or more explosive than the actual gas. 
So I don't know, five minutes or so goes by and I'm like, I reek like gas. And I, I go to, I take my sweater off and I go to throw it in the, what I thought was a safe distance from the fire and kind of gave it like a kick. And it just happened quick. And I was just, and I basically lit up. And so, and it's funny, like it was such an out of body experience, that whole thing. So for me, like I just took off. I just started running and it, it was probably the worst decision I could have made, but I, it's that fight or flight takes over. Right. And I mean, I was a fighter. I couldn't fight this fire. You can't put out a gas fire. So I'm like running, I'm, I'm rolling around, I'm trying to hit it and it's not going out. Right. And the problem was, was I was fast. So guys are chasing me and you know, like people ask me how long I was on fire for, I, I really couldn't tell you, but long enough that it obviously did a lot of damage. And it, I mean, like I look back and I'm, it could have been a lot worse, man, um, for sure. And I mean, if there was like gas or sorry, not grass or water or snow or anything, it was just rocks and dirt. So I was like rolling around and that kind of stuff and uh, didn't help me out. And yeah, eventually I got tackled from behind, thank God, by one of the guys. And they just started trying to like beating me with their jackets and trying to smother me and put it out. Right. Um, and yeah, that was, I mean, I was in a lot of shock. It didn't, that was the crazy thing. It didn't hurt at all. You know, it just didn't, I was in so much shock. Yeah. Right? And like I said, it was like an out of body experience. And uh, yeah, so that happened. And and I remember I was, I sat, I was sitting on this cooler and I'm ass naked and there's nothing left in my clothes. They're all burnt. There's nothing left. And I just remember sitting on the cooler and like, I started looking at everyone's faces. And that's when I realized that like, this isn't good. And I remember like, there's people crying. There's people like puking. There's people like jaws open kind of like what just happened. So I, they're looking at me and I naturally like look down at myself and that's when I'm like, Oh boy, I knew it was pretty bad. Um, I mean, I talk, I go into more description in my book, but like, yeah, it wasn't pretty. So, um, we luckily, one of the guy's girlfriends wasn't drinking. So she was able to get me in a car and get me to the hospital because we couldn't call 911. Right. I mean, guys were like panicking. They're like, you got to get to a hospital now. Um, especially with that much shock, like your body can, can go into a lot of shock and, and shut down or, I mean, no one knew really like how bad it was. They knew it was bad. Right. Um, so yeah, I had probably the longest, not probably the longest car ride of my life because after about 10 minutes, that shock starts wearing off and that's uh, pain I'll never experience again. I'll tell you that. Hey, wow. Yeah. So on the, in the car on the way there, it hit you and you were just like, yeah, man. there's pain ever. I was blacking out. It was that bad. Like I was screaming. I feel so bad for, for his girlfriend because I was like yelling to like drive faster. I need like, I can't make it. And then I was like blacking out. Um, I remember talking to, so we had the, his, the guy on our team, his, his, uh, her boyfriend, sorry. Um, I remember talking to him like later in the year and I'm just like, dude, I like, 
they obviously like made a big difference in getting me there. So I just said, thank you. And I'm, I know that night was probably crazy. Um, so yeah, so we end up getting there. So we pull up to the hospital finally. And I, again, I'm freaking out because the pain is just next level. Right. And I remember I actually got out of the car while it was still moving because I, I, I just had to get out and I like skidded across the ground and like, just imagine what the emergency room thought. And like, because again, I was such tunnel vision. I ran through those doors, but just picture like, you know, your emergency room at, you know, it's probably one or two in the morning. You probably got like your guy that got beat up at the bar and needs some stitches and you got your sick baby. Maybe someone's having chest pains. And then in walks this, not walks in runs this like guy that's naked, dirty, burnt, bleeding, screaming, like, oh my God, <laughs> I just like, can't imagine what, what that looks like. But, uh, so that's, and that's the last thing I remember. They, they knocked me right out after that. So I don't remember wow. after that. Yeah. And then the rest is not history, but that's when the whole, uh, that whole recovery began. And I woke up, I got airlifted to Vancouver that night and woke up very foggy the next day and didn't know where I was. Uh, yeah, but I, so I was in Vancouver and then that was my, uh, the start of my long stay in the burn unit. Crazy, crazy. Well, I, I want to get to that recovery, but I, I have to imagine that like, when I was watching, I can't remember, I was watching something the other day where it was like, you know, having gone through something that traumatic, like the everyday mundane problems that would stress the shit out of all of us. Like is for you, is that just something that's like, <laughs> that ain't shit guys. Like that's like, does it allow you to have the perspective to understand what's a big problem and what's a small problem and like almost like help you kind of get through the day at yeah. times? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had a few, I mean, that's a very big one, obviously, but yeah, different things you can reflect back on and you know, if you're going through a tough time, re remember those, those times, right. And, and, you know, what it gave you and what it allowed you to, to be and how to grow through that. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, the perspective, I mean, my perspective on life changed after that, let alone the day to day. Right. Oh, so. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. So, so let's get into that because, you know, your recovery and, and the way that you, I guess you can call it train started to train your mind to think in a different way about how you do things. You know, that's something that a lot of us can, can probably take into our own lives if we have hopes and dreams and goals of doing some pretty cool things. And, you know, you wrote a book about it too. Um, so yeah. this is something that you've put a, a lot of thought into, um, talk about your recovery. I can't imagine it, it happened right away. There was probably a period of let's call it morning <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And then you finally get to a spot where, you know, you start to maybe treat yourself a little bit better and think about things yeah. in a different way. So, you know, what, what happened right after, you know, you kind of woke up and, and then how did you get to a spot where all of a sudden it's like, okay, now it's, it's go time and it's time to, you know, start doing things to help me get back on my journey of where I want to go. Yeah. So I woke up, I mean, the first, the first couple of days were pretty foggy. I mean, I was, you know, pretty much whacked on morphine and, and, and sleeping and not really totally coherent those first couple of days. Um, and then I had, and I'll never forget the, the conversation I had with the doctor for the first time. And 
like I was chasing that scholarship, right? That was still my, that was my dream. And I had a decent second year and I, I hadn't talked to one school at that point still, but you know, I figured, Hey, I got one more crack at this one more year of, of junior eligibility. And I, you know, we had a lot of guys moving on and I figured I could move into maybe a, a second or third line spot and, 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 you know, get a scholarship that way and, and add some layers to my game. Right. So I had the first conversation with the doctor and I'm a full mummy, right? Like I got, there's nothing, I, my eyes, that's it. And, uh, and I mean, my mouth is exposed too, but so I remember having this conversation with the doctor and I remember asking him, he's, you know, he's telling me, Hey, you did, you know, you're in pretty rough shape. You're 40% second, third degree burns. Uh, and I, I remember I said, what about, uh, I have my training camps in four months. And I'll never forget the look on his face and he said like this kid thinks he's gonna play hockey in four months and, and he said listen you're gonna be in here for a while and this is like a recovery that takes years not months and that was it and so for me I was like that's when I knew my career was over at that moment when he told me that because I was like wow um and I, I accepted it. And for me, it was like a really, it was a double-edged sword because I was, I shouldn't say, it's a mixed bag of emotions where I was down and I was depressed and, you know, because I had to kiss that dream goodbye, but I was still also thankful that I could still live a normal life. I mean, I wasn't going to have like a deformed face, right? Which I could have, if, if it was any longer, it would have been a lot worse, right? Um, I'm going to have a lot of skin grafts and scarring and, but other than that, I'm expected to make a full recovery. So I'm trying to balance those two emotions. Right. And so for me, that was kind of my first two weeks of that stay was, I mean, a managing pain. Right. I mean, like that, it feels like you're being tattooed for Vex, you got tats. So it feels like you're being tattooed for 24 hours a day. That's what I Oh. kind of related it to it's just oh. not it doesn't stop you know and it's I mean there's some days that are a lot worse but that's kind of like the baseline it's like you're just constantly like in pain you know um so that was my first two weeks and I'm trying to balance all these emotions and that's when I had this you know I call it an epiphany or there like I've had very definitive moments in my life where it's like you can either go this way or this way. There's a big fork in the road and you get to make a choice where you want to go, right? And this was my first one. So I get a call from Vandy, uh, our coach in Vernon, and I, my hands are wrapped. So my parents put the phone up to my ears and I talk to him and, you know, he's like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, not great. I'm hanging in there. And he said, listen, I was talking to the, the coaches at Brown University. They're looking for this type of player. And... So that was Danny Brooks, who you said you, uh, you oh, yeah. Brooksy. so he's like, his exact words were, we need a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy league. And then he <laughs> goes, goes, I got the perfect guy for you. There's just one, <laughs> just one small problem. problem. <laughs> he's, uh, he's burnt himself to a crisp and he's in the hospital. And so he, he said, just call him. I know the future's, you know, uncertain, which was an understatement at the time, but uh, he said, just call him. So I called Brooksy in the hospital 
and I hadn't talked to one NCAA scout to that point. And I'm in the, I'm in the burn unit for my first talk with, with an NCAA or coach or scout. Right. So I talked to Brooksy first time I've heard a Rhode Island accent and I'm like, you know, he's just full of piss and vinegar. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it was just, it was left super open-ended, I guess. I mean, he, Hey, he just said, Hey, we're sorry to hear it happened. And we wish, you know, the best in, in your recovery. And, you know, we'd love to see it play one day, you know, knowing that I had one more year left of eligibility. And, but again, it was just, it was just left open-ended. And, and for me, that's when, so I hung up the phone that night and I was, I was super emotional because I'm like, man, I've, I've worked my whole life to get this opportunity and now I've gotten it and look where I am. Right. And for me, like th there was this big long list of reasons why I couldn't play in, in four months. Like, I mean, the skin grafts were going to be too fresh and too limiting. The risk of infection was really high. Um, you can't sweat. So you, from those areas, those grafted areas, you can't sweat. So that's complications. I'm, I was in a full body suit for two years after that. So you're going to be in a body suit. You're going to have grafts. And that, those were like the reasons why. And I just, I remember again, like I, I made a choice and I think like there's some super empowering to just make a choice and, and live that. And, and there's no other option. So for we'll me, I to it, right. Just I absolutely said, fully wholeheartedly commit to it. And I just said, those aren't good enough reasons for me. If you're telling me it's going to hurt too much, like I've already experienced that. So bring it on. Right. And so I flipped that mindset and I was like, I was honestly like my mindset was um, I'll die before I give up. Right. And, uh, and that took me down a whole, <laughs> a whole journey, man, that whole summer. But so can we, can we get into that a little bit? Because the fork in the road thing, I, I feel like is a really big one for a lot of people. And, and sometimes the fork in the road dilemma, let's call it is an everyday choice. Cause we make choices every day and those right. compound and, you know, they may not seem like a big thing at the time, but they end up over time being a big thing. This was obviously a, a big fork in the road for you. How did you get to a point? Because I think one of the hardest things in the world to do is when you're down making that decision to go down the side of the fork of the road, that's a little bit harder. No, not a little bit harder. That's a lot harder, but has a, a really big thing at the end. And most people don't want to commit to it because they don't want to fail. They feel like at the end of it, there's such a small chance of, of succeeding. Um, and they don't want to let people down. They don't want to let themselves down that they don't even freaking try. They're going to take the, yeah. the road less travel or the road more traveled. And they're going to take that. So I want you like, if you can talk about how you got that to that decision to be like, you know what, this is why, why did you go down yeah. the hard, tough road? <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and maybe it was, Hey man, I've been, I've been dreaming my whole life of, of getting that phone call from, from Danny Brooks um, and, and playing college hockey. I, I, what was it? that allowed you to make that decision, number one. And then number two, like we were just talking about, once you made that decision, what was your process like to follow through with the things that you needed to do to make that decision a reality at the end yeah. of the road? Yeah, so both good questions. So I would say for sure that that first question pertains to like purpose or why, like Bex, that's why I saw that you had that post and I'm like, man, I resonate with that so much because, you know, there's always the, that fork and those decisions are hard, 
But when you have a purpose that's so deep and strong, then you make that hard choice every time, right? There's no other option. And for me, that was my, my purpose had now become, I'm setting out to prove all these people wrong and myself right and live out like my dream and, and play the game that I love and for another four years, right? And live out, I want to be a student athlete and live out that dream. And honestly, like that was my mentality. I'm like, you better shoot me or chop my legs off before I, you know, before I give up on that, right? And, and so that was my mentality and that, so it all came down to purpose for me. I, I had this new purpose, right? And um, after that phone call, and so for me, people always ask me like, how did you discover visualization? How did you come across visualization? And this is how, so I, you know, I had this, this phone call and this epiphany and this newfound purpose and my mind was all I had, like I was bedridden, right? I couldn't move. So that's all I did was think all day about the pain and, you know, how all the negative shit that I was dealing with, right? I didn't focus on anything else, right? And so I, when, once I flipped that, and that's when I'm like, well, I better start visualizing what I want because that other shit isn't serving me. Right. And so that's when I started visualizing because I had heard about it. I didn't. And that's what I tell people. I didn't read a fancy book or, um, you know, anything like that. Like I was stuck with my thoughts bedridden in a burn unit. That's how. And uh, so I, I started visualizing I, like I visualize healing at a cellular level. I would just, you know, I just sit there and visualize my body like healing. Did someone tell you to do that. Like, uh, where did you get that from? Because at that age, I oh. didn't. I didn't know about like that type of deep connection and stuff like that. Like, where did you get that from? I mean, I was always a science guy and I was interested in that, you know, in the, in the human body. So I, I think it stems from there, but again, like my mindset was that, okay, I've been consumed by these negative thoughts about my current reality. So I really just thought about everything I wanted. And part of that included I got to get out of this hospital if I want to have a chance at playing hockey again. So I'm like, I need to get out of here fast, as fast as I can. Right. So I'm like, okay, I got to heal faster. And so I just, again, I've visualized my like body healing. Um, I mean, people might say you're crazy. Can't heal faster. Like I believe in my heart that that helped me get through that and heal faster. And then I would, you know, I'd visualize and I'd sit in that pocket in the feeling of like, coming back to play coming for that opening night for the vipers like signing my commitment letter being on the phone call like every little thing and that's what got me through that hot out of that hospital um and yeah i remember i remember i had a, a moment with my dad so like so this was after two weeks right and then i think it was like three and a half weeks i was i finally was able to get in a wheelchair and, and get so my dad wheeled me outside. I hadn't been outside in almost a month. And, you know, I like look back and I feel so like, I get emotional thinking about my parents. Cause I, I have a kid and like, they thought I was dead that night. Cause you get a call from the police at two in the morning, there's something, an accident, right? Like, so it wasn't until like that second week where they're like, okay, he's going to be okay. Right. He's going to be a little messed up, but I, so I remember I had this moment with my dad and, um, and I always kept things pretty close to the vest. So I didn't necessarily like advertise and tell them like until this moment. So I go outside and my dad's like, 
he's like, it's just, it's been a crazy few weeks, man, you're going to be okay. And, and I'm proud of you. And I'm like, dad, I'm going to be better than okay. And I just told him, I'm like, I'm getting out of here and I'm going to Brown. And he, I don't think he believed me <laughs> because of where I was at, but he just, and I'm like, that's why I just, I love my dad because he's just like, you, I could, you know, in, in his heart, he was like, this guy's crazy. I just, I'm glad he's alive. That was his thought. But he, yeah. he looked, he just looked at me and he was like, he's like, well, then you chase that and you don't stop until you get there. Is what he told me. And uh, like, I get emotional thinking about it, but yeah, it was a cool moment. And uh, so I got out of the hospital in six weeks, which I was supposed to be there for quite a bit longer. Um, I actually like, <laughs> I basically like told my dad, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Like, cause I had to complete the first phase of rehab after my skin grafts in the hospital. And that was a big part of the stay, right? And I basically told him, I'm like, I'm, I'm walking out of here. I couldn't walk, but I'm like, I'm getting wheeled out of here, right? And, but they agreed. So they agreed and they sent me home with my rehab program and, and uh, a, a garbage bag full of medical supplies that you couldn't believe the size of. And, uh, and then the summer, it really like, I mean, we're really only touching the surface on what the recovery is like. Right. But yeah, we could talk about this forever. Like this is the most interesting, amazing. Uh, I'm sorry. It happened story I have ever heard. And you better believe <laughs> I'm going to buy your effing book after the first 12 <laughs> minutes of this podcast. My God, dude. Yeah. Wow. Wild, man. Um, wow. I mean, the only thing I'll give you is that, I mean, like an overarching thought I guess is that the doctors were right like they really were I had no business playing hockey that next year I mean I had I got kidney stones the day out of I got to the hospital I got uh so I couldn't walk for probably six I think it was about six weeks after I got to the hospital because I had grafting all over my legs right and if I stood up the blood would rush and and bleed out through those grafts so the doctors are like you need to keep those legs elevated until they heal. And so for me, I'm trying to balance this like new mindset and mission versus like, I can't walk. Right. And take that time to heal. So anyways, I was, I was really like pushing the limits and the boundaries of what I was supposed to be doing and what I even could do. But I mean, I was pushing my body hard, obviously. And so it was fighting back. Like I had kidney stones. Um, it's trying to recover. And I, I actually, so a week before, or it was 10 days before camp in Vernon, I get this pain in my stomach and I go to the walking clinic and by this time I can walk, right? So this is later in the summer and I, I'll never forget, I go in the hospital or in the walking clinic and I, the doctor, I'm in a full bodysuit, right? For scarring. So nipples to knees, I wear a bodysuit for two years after that for scarring. And he pulls it down. Like, he's like, well, this guy's got a bodysuit. He pulls it down and he's like, when did you get these done? And I was like, yeah, like three months ago. And so long story short, I had appendicitis and they had to like, um, it was like, they took the, the um, cat scan or I can't remember, ultrasound or cat scan or whatever. And like, dude, like we need to get this out now, but I have a skin graft right there. So he's like, we have to cut through that to get your appendix out. And this is a, this is like a week before camp. Oh, so like, 
I had every reason to quit, man, like let alone from the burn and all these other things. Um, and then, yeah, like I had pelvis issues that whole rest, you know, that start of that year, I was holding on by a thread, by a thread. And I knew Danny Brooks was coming to watch me in like November, right? And I played in the opening night lineup. I mean, if people would have seen what I looked like under my hockey gear, they would have been like, what happened? You know? You're wearing your bodysuit under your equipment too? I had to wear it 24 hours a day. Yeah. Wow. Dude, so, we get we got to make a movie about you know the, yeah. your life dude this is unbelievable hey maybe the book maybe one day it'll be a movie but um <laughs> i mean the you know, only time i took it off was to shower right and yeah it and when i did that it like so that scarring it it, it wants to be so thick that even five minutes without that on it the scars would raise like half an inch and they'd be like rock hard it was crazy I just think about right now, I think about like, you know, Vex when we were playing, just like complaining about stupid shit, you know, or, or, you know, hearing, hearing players today complain about uh, this or that, or the coach or the circumstances or, and, and just like hearing stories like this, it's like, guys, this guy was, you know, probably five minutes away from dying, you know, like in, in yeah, that car. And, and, you know, had to take a, 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 a it took a decision that was going to mean a lot more pain and suffering and, um, wherewithal and, and just battling through and God, it just, it, it just puts so, we are huge on perspective, Patty, on this show and, and yeah. stories like this, it just drives home the point of how important perspective is and God, like I'm going to you know, there's going to be a time in the next week or so where I'm going to have something in my life that I think sucks or is not fair or whatever. Yeah. It's just a natural thing. And, and I'm just going to think about this and be like, Hey, you know what? Anything is possible. And, and you can frame anything in a way that's positive, literally anything you can literally frame in a way anything. that's positive. Anything. Yeah. And, and it's just so, I, I think, important needed for for especially these younger kids you know coming up forget about hockey just from a life standpoint like hey there are better days ahead if you choose to think about it in that way like yeah there's going to be tough times and there's going to be some stuff that's out of our control but at the end of the day i mean this guy literally through visualization went from you're never playing hockey again to playing freaking opening night the next year yeah. You know, like that, that's insane, but it's also an incredible point that, okay, like you, whatever your problem is that you have, like, think about that, <laughs> think yeah. about that. And, and how big is your problem now? And, yeah. you know, how much easier is it for you? I shouldn't say e easy is not the right word, but like how much more, yeah. more manageable is your problem that you got to yeah. get through to, to get to where you want to get to perspective is such a freaking powerful thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I always say like adversity is a gift and you know, you have to reframe that and visualization and purpose and these things can help you unpack that. Right. And reframe it. Um, because yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be where I was, you know, today or, or make it to the NHL or not even forget about the NHL. I mean, that's like, even get to Brown without this. Right. So every day 
I'm in, you know, I'm in this pain and I'm struggling to, to even put my gear on, let alone go play. Like I'm visualizing and I'm, that's getting me through it. Right. And what I want to happen. And I mean, manifestation and the universe works in crazy ways, man. And I like, I've lived that. Um, So crazy. Unbelievable. So, so they come to see you in November and then they like what they see. Yeah. So yeah, they, I play and they like what they see, but I, like, again, I was struggling, man. I could, I was coming to the rink on crutches because my pelvis, I had such bad pelvis issues because the, those burns, like there was so much instability there because the deepest third degree burns I had were on in my thighs and inside of my thighs. And, uh, which is kind of important in hockey, kind of important those muscles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one could put their finger on it, but I had this big instability or something where like, it was just crippling. Anyways, so again, like I told you, I was holding on by a thread. And so they come watch me. Um, This is when you could have any painkiller you wanted to help you through the games, right? So I'm just, again, holding on by a thread. I go down for a fly down and they offer me, you know, a week after that. And then I, I shut it down. Like, if you look at my stats, I only played, I think, 20, maybe 22 or 23 games that last year. That's why, because I... I don't, I wasn't going to last a lot longer. I don't think like, again, I was, I was really holding on. Um, and so, yeah, I'm like, Kane, I've, I've set out, I've accomplished what I set out to do. It's time to, to let my body rest and heal a little bit because it, it hadn't really given it a chance to do that. Um, I tried to come back later in the year for playoffs because part of me was still like, I wouldn't want a championship with these guys. Um, uh, but I also had to balance my, you know, future in my next four years at Brown after that. And, but like I said, the doctors were right. This is, this was a a couple years recovery. Um, I just happened to mix in a little bit of hockey during that, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, man, I, so I shut it down for the rest of the year and then, and dealt with the, I dealt with the recovery my freshman year at Brown still um, through rehab and all that stuff. So, and then, yeah, after that, it's, like I said, they were right. After two years, I was good to go. I was, I was better. So how did, how did Brown like take that whole situation? You know, you fly out there and you're still freaking body suiting it up and you're burned and you know, and you're all this stuff. Like what, what did Brown say? They didn't know the extent of what was going on. Um, I mean, the body suit is hidden under clothing, right? Like I had, I had some really gnarly scar. You, you won't be able to see it, but I have like, it was, it's really purple when like, you know, when you get a scar. So my, I had all these purple areas on my body that were grass and like my, my hand. I feel like I remember those when I met you, when I was playing in the AHL and you were at you Brown, were. like, I, I remember, you know, seeing some like coloration and somebody just kind of saying something. And I obviously did not know the story was like this. Like, yeah. Wow. But you know, it's fun. Like, it's crazy because even my best buddies from Brown, I mean, as far as they knew that, like, I got burnt and I recovered, like, I never told anyone about any of this, really. Like, my family knew, but that's it. Um, so, yeah, like I said, this book was always a side project. And then with COVID, I finally went out and did that, which we can get to in a bit. But, but yeah, man, so it's, uh, yeah, that coloring lasted for two, three years it was purple. It just took a long time to change back to skin color and it, and it did now. So, but 
Man, it's really inspiring. That's that's a super inspiring story, and and obviously not the end of your story either. You you played four years at Brown, and then you got the chance to play in in the NHL for uh, your hometown Canucks and and the Washington Capitals. Yeah. And so, but I I do I have to ask you, and because Vex and I have talked about it today and and previous days, but we we were opponents for a couple of years in college. Yeah, I was yeah, at yeah. Cornell, and and you were at Brown. <laughs> and Vex said you told him a funny story about an interaction. We had yeah. or something like that so we, we we waited until uh until we got on the podcast for you to tell it but uh, i'm i'm interested to see i'm a little a little nervous but <laughs> i don't know what happened like i said i it was probably just another game for you but for me it was my first ever college game oh wow yeah so anyways so i gotta go back i'll go back like a couple weeks so so i go to brown right still burnt body seat everything and uh when i got to brown but again like i wasn't really i kind of snuck in right a little bit um to to fill this role of the bruiser or whatever right and i remember getting there and i'm like man everyone is so good i'm like how am i gonna make this lineup there's no way i'm gonna have to do something so i again like i reverted back to that role and I just started running guys, like running guys. I didn't care who they were. I didn't really know who was really good and who wasn't. So we had our brown, white, you know, scrimmage game or whatever, once captain's practices are done. And then we have like the week of camp or I don't even really remember. Was it a week long? And then you have the scrimmage, right? Yeah. I, I, I knocked out one of our guys in the first period. He went off and... <laughs> because I'm like like I was buddies with them but I'm like I'm trying to make the team and I mean I'm gonna put friendship aside I'm trying to make the starting lineup right so one guy gets injured at the first period from hit and then the next it was I think it was the third this guy he was a junior he might have been a senior I think he was a junior he comes around the net in in my defensive zone and I'm back checking and I'm like I'm motoring and he's motoring he didn't see me and I I hit this guy so hard that his cage indented and like bent in and cut him for like, it was ugly, man. Like 40 stitches. Holy <laughs> Jesus. Hey, hey, months, months will remember that story. You should ask him about oh that. Oh my God. I will. Absolutely. He just yeah. texted me and said to say ask hi, him, by the way. He, yeah. 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 He'll remember that. So I hit oh this guy God. so hard and he's got this huge gash. He quit. He quit hockey the next day. No way. And, and I'm not trying to end guys' careers. Like, I'm just like, get out of my way. This is, I'm here to make the team basically. Somebody grab you. Is anybody like, dude, you're hurting all our players. Like nobody grabs you. Nobody says anything. No, they just probably thought I was crazy. They're like this burst dude in front of everyone. And, uh, so who Grillo pulled me into the room, into the coach's office after that game. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you're hurting everyone. And I'm like, I'm like, sorry, Mr. Grillo. I'm just trying to make the team. Like, I, he's like, you're going to be in the starting lineup. Just take it easy. <laughs> and um, so now we get back. So now we go to my first game against Toph and against Cornell at Brown. I'm pretty sure it was your guys' first game. So it's our, and maybe not, but it was our home opener my first college game and like again with my journey and I got there like it was it was pretty cool right and I had a lot of pride so my first shift I get a four minute charging penalty 
and I didn't even hit the guy. I don't even, I don't know who it was. Didn't even hit him. The glass blew out and like, (laughs) God, (laughs) dude, please make a movie out of this guy's life. Somebody. (laughs) So they gave me a four minute charging penalty for hitting the glass too hard. Yeah. Like the guy fell down, but I missed him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm in the box for four minutes and you guys score a goal in that power play. You probably got a goal or an assist. And so probably I, an assist. He had a muffin. Yeah. I'll probably true, assist. Yeah. True, true story was not allowed so, to shoot on the power play. So my, my, <laughs> my second, my second college shift, I go out and I bury you from behind. Five oh, minutes. really? Yeah. So you probably don't remember it because it was just another game for you. But when Vex was like, yeah, I do the podcast with Tov- Tover Scott. I'm like, no way. And he ended his life. <laughs> oh, I tried to, I tried to probably kill you really. But... <laughs> 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 so anyways, I, so now I'm one shift charging one shift, five minutes from behind and I'm out for the game kicked out. Right. You can't you get kicked out for the no, game. This you guys score. Game. You guys score another two goals or whatever it is. Again, you probably buried or, or had an assist on both. And we get just pumped. And I get ripped, obviously. Like I'm being a, I'm being an idiot. And I didn't play for another game for about six weeks. I just got healthy scratch for the next. So I played the next game I played was the game before Christmas break. So, you know, December 10th or whatever that is. And I was like, I'm like, well, hockey was fun. Guess that's over. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I made it here, I made it here but <laughs> that's so that was my story. I had, I, I, I buried you from behind and you scored two goals and had an assist and, and basically help healthy scratch me for two months. <laughs> <laughs> I probably turned too. It's probably one of those things where I kind of was trying to cut back and I turned and yeah, but it wasn't stop. a great start to my college career. Let's just say wow. That. Yeah. But you who, know what? Who would have saw that coming after that Brown and white game? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that was a wake up call. I mean, I had to be a little bit smarter. Right. And uh, cause I didn't play for two months and I had to change my game a little bit. Uh, so let's, spots, but. Let, let's keep going with that because, you know, you really um, flourished in, in your last year at Brown. And I was looking, you know, at your stats before we got on here and you had more goals in your senior year than you did in your first three years combined, which yeah. is uh, quite an accomplishment. I mean, that's something that you, that just doesn't happen by accident that just from being a coach and having played college hockey, like I know the work that probably went into you know, being able to, to do that. And, you know, that year probably set you up for the next four or five, six years after that. So I, I want to know, because it, it happens a lot in a college career, even a junior career that might be two or three, you know, years long, it, it doesn't really come the first year for a lot of people. It, you got to kind of figure out the, the next level. It's a lot faster. Things happen quicker you realize yeah. that there's a lot more really good hockey players out there uh, that are potentially better than you are. And we've all been through that. And so, yeah. you know, you grind your way through your, your first year, second year, third year, and then all of a sudden there's this, there's this senior year and all of a sudden the puck's going in the net and all of a sudden, you know, things are happening a, a little bit differently. I know there was a coaching change that happened that year. And sometimes just getting an opportunity to play in those roles plays a, a big piece in that and somebody believing in you, but, for you, what do you attribute that kind of change in not being that much offensive of a player playing that role to all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're 
scoring almost a point a game. You score 17 goals in, in your senior year there at Brown. What do you attribute that change to? And, and how did you kind of get your mindset into a spot where you were doing that now? That's a lot of goals too, man. That is 17, a lot of goals. especially in the Ivy League. Holy crap. I didn't know you scored that many. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good year. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the answer is it, it all came down to the visualization and, and that, like that purpose I talked about. So when I went to Brown, like that was it for me, right? That was my NHL. And I didn't, I was, I didn't have the wherewithal to, when I got there, I didn't think what's next. Right. Because I didn't, I didn't have a reason to really. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, my, my perspective on life had changed. Like when I went to Brown, I just, man, I had a good time and just, I worked my ass off, but I was enjoying life and I was just you no know, cares in the world. And I'm like, again, that perspective on life had shifted. I'm just like, I'm living day to day and I'm just here to have a good time and enjoy it. Right. Um, and I didn't think what's next. And, you know, I, I had established myself as that, you know, fourth line. I, by by the, my junior year, I was like a third line guy, you know, had 10 points a year kind of thing. And, but I didn't, like, I took pre-med. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my degree and maybe, you know, get a, a PhD in sports education or, um, you know, sports science or something like that. Right. That was my, that was my kind of path. And after our junior year, our, one of our assistant coaches came up to me and he said, Hey, you, you know, he pulled me aside. Have you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I, I remember I laughed in his face and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm 24 years old. Why would I don't have a reason to think of, I hadn't thought about it. Right. And that was my second, you know, you talk about fork in the road or epiphany. And he's like, I really think, you know, no one hits and skates like you do. He's like, I've never seen anyone hit like that. So if you can add, you know, work on your game, if you add these elements, I really think you could have a pretty solid five, 10 year career in the American league. Who knows, maybe even get a shot in the show one day. And I'm like, Oh man, like, wow. I mean, thank you. Uh, I honestly didn't know what to say. And <laughs> I went, I went home. So I went home that night and again, I just made it. I just started thinking back to like four years prior or whatever it was of that burn injury and that recovery. And I'm like, I started thinking to what he said. And I'm like, man, if I can do that, if I can, if I can overcome that burn injury and come back to just even play hockey and go to Brown, like, why can't I make the NHL? And that was, that was my mindset. And I flipped it again. And I just said, well, let's do it then. And, you know, I'm going to live that every day. And I, I had lost that, like the visualization practice. I totally like, I didn't have a reason at the time I, you know, went to Brown at 21 and you're just young and naive. And I, I just, again, that was my NHL. I didn't really have a reason to think what's next. So I didn't visualize anything. I just lived every day. And it's just, it's crazy how, for me, the power of that manifestation and, and how the universe works and what visualization has done for me with, with that, through that. And so I called my parents the next day. I said, I'm not coming home this summer. I'm going to stay out here. And I just lived at the rink, man. I just, you know, I just work my ass off really is what, what it comes down to. I just lived, I stayed at the rink for 12 hours a day. I'd work out in the morning. Um, and then I would just sit and I'd visualize what I wanted, you know, go through all that, go through, I'd go through the whole year at Brown and just 
you know, I needed to add that, that offensive side to my game. So you want to talk about, you know, the offense, I scored hundreds of goals in my head every day. Right. And played that out and, and just visualized, you know, being a force out there and still playing my role. And I mean, worked, I worked my ass off. I put on like 20 pounds. Um, and then, yeah, man, it just, and then, and then I visualized where I wanted to go and sign that NHL contract and see myself for that first NHL game. Right. And I actually, and then what I tell my clients and what I do is, you know, I get them to be the director of their movie. Like this is your life. And it's, let's write this movie. You can be the director. What do you want your life to look like? You get to decide that. Right. And I tell them like, if I can make the NHL, you can do anything you want. Like, I know that. Right. And so for me, I played this movie in my head of, you know, it starts out with that burn injury. Right. And I'm like going through that, getting to Brown. And then I play that last year of Brown out every day in my mind. Right. And get, and your, my confidence just went like this. And then I'd, you know, visualize the NHL and manifest that, what that looked like, what it felt like. And yeah, people don't know that. They look at the stats and they're like, oh, you really figured it out that last year. I wonder what happened. Well, that's what happened. And uh, I got off, I got an opportunity and I got off to a good start and the rest is history, man. And yeah, like I went for, at 24 years old, I, I guarantee you not one NHL team knew who I was. And then at 25, I was probably, I probably would have been a top five free agent in the NCAA, right? Um, wow. Cause I had, I mean, there were guys that had way more points, but you know, point a game. And like, I was, I was like two fifteen, almost 25 year, years old playing against, you know, 18 year olds coming in at 160 pounds. Like there were some bad injuries there, <laughs> <laughs> dude, some bad ones. Um, and again, not that I, I advocate, I'm not trying to seriously hurt anyone, but if I, like, if I broke your rib or something, like the sick part of me, you know, kind of took pride in that kind of get out or of my bundled way. you from behind you know yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah yeah i mean this isn't ballet man right? so, i like so, it man hey to, to yeah. be honest with you i if i got smoked in my first couple shifts that was actually a good thing for me because i played much yeah. better when i was pissed like yeah, yeah. somebody gave me a reason to be pissed off like that was that was a good thing um so i have i have a couple things for you right now patty so number one is I'm ready to like lace up the skates again right now. Like, honestly, like I want to go play hockey again, listening to your story and, and like not against you. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I ever successfully hit you though. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, it's just so inspiring and, and so cool. Um, the, the, the second thing is dude, like, I think you're spot on and it's so easy that even for me, like kind of, let's call it researching you. Cause I, you know, we've never met before this is the first time we're talking, just kind of, you know, yeah. looking for things about, about you. And you notice that that sticks out on your statue. And it's like, Oh, like, you know, and you don't really think much of it, but like being a former college coach, thinking a little bit more of it, because I've seen that happen with guys where the flip switches and it has nothing to do other than they took control of their career and they started to put in the work and they made the change to do it. I think yeah. there's something very, very powerful in that. And, and like, if you want to change, you have to do something. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. Like you, you can't like, it has yeah. to be you. However, the third thing that I want to say is I would venture a guess to say that this never happens. Had that coach not come up to you and had that conversation with you about, Hey, maybe pro hockey yeah. can be an option for you. I believe in you, you totally. know? So 
there there's yeah. this part to the story where it's like you have to take control and you have to do your thing but you can't do it on your own. You have to have people in your corner that believe in you and are willing to push you and are willing to be honest with you. And yeah. I think that's a that's like we talked a little bit about that. That's maybe not the sexy part of the story, if that's right. what you want to call it. But it's a necessary part of the story, because just imagine yeah. all of the kids out there. There are a lot of really good hockey players out there, right? There's a ton of really good hockey players out there. There are yeah. probably so many hockey players out there that just didn't have that person believing in them to give them. And and I don't want to say give them the confidence because you have to earn your confidence, but give them the assurance and the believability that this is in your grasp. And so it was it Jerry, was it Jerry Keefe that uh, came up to you? Was it? No, it was, uh, I think it was Sterling, Scott Sterling, because Jerry Keefe didn't come until my last year. Right. So, so this is, this is a guy that yeah. in one conversation, just a little bit of belief. Hey, like I, I, I believe in you. And that is such yeah. a freaking powerful thing. Like if you even think about, and it goes both ways too. When you think that somebody doesn't believe in you, that really sucks. And, yeah. and we've all been there. <laughs> Frick, we've all been there where we oh, played yeah. for guys that, yeah. you know, doesn't, don't have the confidence in you. And, and that's just a drag. Yeah. But yeah. then when you have somebody that invests in you and, and believes in you in that way, um, it, it, it could be like in your in your case right here, life changing, like legitimately yeah. life changing. So uh, if you can just elaborate a little bit more on kind of like maybe not just that conversation, but now you've been given this almost new lease on life based on this this guy believing in you. And, and is that something that you think was that important to, you know, you eventually playing in the NHL and, and having that great year? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was that kick in the ass more of, you know, I, I gave myself shit. I'm like, why did I not think what's next? Or, you know, and I, I shouldn't say give myself shit, but, I, you know, just it's understandable like, what you went through. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm just trying to balance that, but, I was like, man, why didn't I think like, what's, what's really possible, you know, um, going through that. And and that's what I try and send that message out now, because you don't know that at a young age, right. Where honestly, like my mentality was, I'm just going to manifest and visualize this and just do shit. No one else wants to do really. And, you know, take pride in knowing that I know no one's working harder than I am. And that's what I always had in my back pocket. Um, How much do you build confidence from that too? I think that is like the biggest confidence builder in the world is, and we used to talk about it as a team. Like nobody knows that was our, our motto one year. Nobody knows. And it was like, nobody knows the training that like we train harder than every other team in the country. Like, and, and maybe we did, maybe we didn't, who knows, but, but that's what we believed. And with that came a swagger and a, and a confidence that like, nobody knows what we went through. Nobody knows the, the 7am lifts there, you know, just all the other stuff. And it was a huge part to our confidence as a team. And, and just like what you're saying uh, for you as an individual, I mean, just, just understand it. I'm doing more than you. (laughs) So I'm going to get better, you know? Oh man. Like going into every game that last year, my senior year, just the, the the calmness and the confidence I had I'd never experienced that before oh, so cool like and that's that's all with the visualization and the work I put in right where I mean your brain naturally goes like I, I would just 
before every game, like that week leading up to the game, I'd be visualizing all those things that I wanted to accomplish in that next game. So my brain naturally goes, we play Cornell on Friday night and, you know, I'm getting prepared and I'm like, I've already, I've already been here. I've done this. I already know how it goes. And, you know, that's on the offensive side and being that machine and that unstoppable side on the physical side. And yeah, like, I just had that confidence and swagger going in, in that last year where I just knew like you, I couldn't be stopped that last year, every game. Right. And that's not to say you're guaranteed you're going to have a really good game every game, but I sure as hell thought I was. Um, Unbelievable, man. That's literally the exact same way. I, I learned about yeah. visualization when I was um, se- 17, 18, 18 after a, a bad car accident in juniors and this sports psychologist had a, uh, had a CD that he gave me that I was talking to with, with the stuff that happened with it. And it was, there was like pregame stuff to listen to. I was listening to stuff to help me sleep. And then I started listening to this stuff for pregame and it was all visualization. And this was in 2004. So this, okay. before it was like anything yeah. mainstream and I'm listening to it on a freaking disc man, you know, like an actual CD yeah. disc <laughs> man that somebody yeah. blows by me and that's going to skip. And every day, every yeah. game, I'd listen to it for 11 minutes. And that's literally what changed my hot. One of the biggest things that changed my hockey career was visualization, seeing myself succeed over and over yeah. and over. Like it literally changed my game, changed my life, changed everything. Like it's this, so powerful. This is, it's yeah. so powerful. And it's, you're, you, you nailed it. Like saying like, I wasn't nervous because I've already been there. You yeah. know, like, like you've, you've been there a thousand times and your, your brain can't distinguish like brain practice or body practice. Like yeah. it just knows practice, you know? And so like totally. you, you, you put in hundreds, if not thousands more reps than everyone else, you know, every yeah. week. And that's the reason that you were successful and were able to have this unbelievable, miraculous 10 year span of hockey here. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's totally true. And and for me, there's there's two types of visualization. I always tell people there's the rehearsal imagery, which is what most people think of that successful execution of like the skills in your sport, right? So if you're a D man, you know, you might pick three areas and it's like one breakouts and you run a hundred of those in your head because those there's different iterations there, right? It can look a million different ways. Um, maybe one's walking the line and maybe one's box out, right? And you're in perfect position every time. So that's the one type that, you know, that's where you start like that preparation and that confidence and trust in your, in your abilities that really helps with that. But the other side is, is the manifestation belief imagery side where, I mean, that was such a huge part for me of just getting out of the hospital and, and achieving what, what I set out to do and, you know, talk about having that purpose and, and living it every day and living in that reality. Well, you know, you start, you start rewiring that subconscious brain where it's like, eventually it says, huh, I, I, I really believe this now before I wasn't sure. Now I really believe it, you know, and it's super powerful, man. It really is. So, so yeah. I, uh, it's so funny, man. I had a conversation and I I've been using this verbiage a lot because I think it gets people to understand the power of, of visualization. And then also like, and this goes along with visualization, like writing down, like your why writing down what you yeah. want. And, uh, one of my clients fathers today, a newer client, um, was telling me that he wants to lose a bunch of weight. He used to run marathons 
you know, this is the heaviest he's been in his fifties and he's just not happy. And like, it sounds like he's a big time, uh, a guy at his job and like multinational yeah. company and stuff like that. And he teaches people this stuff in the banking world. And he's like, I just haven't been applying it to my personal life. And we went yeah. over, literally, I talked all about this visualization, writing down your why, putting it in multiple places on your steering wheel of your car, you know, on the fridge handle where you're going to go grab a couple of times. Um, the one I tell everyone is on the mirror where you brush your teeth. So every single morning and night, you have to read your why, your goals, whatever. And that's how I, I was able to be not yeah. a very good hockey player and wind up playing 10 years pro because I did this shit religiously um, from when I learned it. And the way that I've been explaining, it, I think helps a lot of people is the more you do this, the visualization, the writing down your goals, reading it over and over, what happens is you start to affect your subconscious mind, right. which the more that you ingrain these things, these positive affirmations, seeing yourself succeed, telling yourself why you're doing things and you're going to do it. What happens is your subconscious mind is now thinking about it all the time without yeah. you even having knowledge of it, which affects your conscious actions. And right. so like, maybe you're tired and you don't want to go shoot 50 pucks tonight, but you've been telling yourself, I will make the NHL or I will make the team. I will score 20 goals this year. So your actions are just affected. Oh, no, F that. I'm going to go shoot the pucks. Of course, I'm going to do it. And then you go do it. And then what does that do? Then that builds confidence on top of building the skill, on top of building all these other things. So the more you can directly affect your subconscious, it affects your conscious actions. And I think that's why this stuff is so powerful. And people like you and me and Toph, who've all done this and lived it, and it helped us overcome whatever we had to overcome in our own lives, whatever that may be, and is why we were able to be what I would probably call overachievers for who we were in, in the game yeah. of hockey. Well, I think for sure we all were, right? Yeah. And yeah, you're so bang on with that. And when, you, when we talk about the, the choices, and you know the hard choice and you know you told if you asked me that like how did you make those choices and eventually though you know you start changing these thoughts more and more your subconscious brain starts changing and it gets rewired right i mean the cool thing was is i started learning about this stuff in my last few years at brown so for me it was just like i like actually got to learn about what i had gone through Right. And then I had this other epiphany at the same time. It was like this perfect storm. And, you know, the reason that that hard choice gets easier is because, I mean, Vex, you know, like the subconscious, it runs the show, man. It's thousands of times more powerful than your conscious mind. So, you know, you might be telling yourself consciously, like, I just really, I'm really tired. And, you know, uh, I don't really feel like it today. You, you deserve a day off or, or whatever your, your dialogue is. But, you know, you, you start wiring that subconscious and it says, get off your ass, man. We're, not, we're going here. We're not doing this, right? And then you do it. So, so it's, true. It's it so just, true. It, run, it runs the show, right? And, it's so powerful. And, and most of us, we have these limiting beliefs of what we're truly capable, right? And that's just who we are as human beings. And the cool thing is with, with plasticity is, visualization and, and meditation and that those are just it's one of the ways you can actually change that which is so like think about what that means right like you actually get to decide right which is cool and it's it's super empowering right so empowering we just need more people to to be talking about it and i think obviously more and more people are but it's like 
you know, so many people are like, well, I can't do that. Or that's so hard. And it's like, man, you can, you can, I literally believe for the most part, anyone can do almost anything, almost anything like, or, or you can find a way to do, to get close to that goal, which allows you to do something else that, you know, like it brings you to another thing that, that is just as, as powerful for you. Like, obviously, you know, if you're never played hockey before and you're 20, you're not going to play in the NHL, no matter how much you visualize, like that's not going to happen. But like with realistic things, I mean, it is so, so, so powerful. And honestly, I I honestly think think that probably the first thing in my life where I started to learn this stuff was looking up to Toph, Um, you know, Toph's older than me. And dude, he's this little tiny guy and he was the best hockey player in the country. Like growing up, like this dude was so good. No, you were, everyone says it He gets embarrassed. He doesn't like when I pump his tires, but Toph was disgusting in a time when hockey needed to be bigger to be good for most people. And I saw his work ethic. I saw him like constantly talking about like how he was going to do these things. And I was like, dude, I've never been around anybody who's like this motivated or or, like actually working this hard when we were younger. And it was so cool. And that always made me want to push harder and be like, well, Tove can do it. I can do it. You know, it was that kind of mentality. And like that, that showed me the, the way for sure. Yeah, man, that's so true. Uh, I think it's just, do shit that other people don't want to do and you'll be surprised right yeah Uh, yeah it's funny you said the can't i mean i have this rule with my son i'm he's not allowed to say that so dude that's my rule in my gym i love that yeah yeah man so yeah i think we're speaking the same language but so he just says so now he'll say he'll catch himself which is really cool right because i'm like what's that doing to his little brain right and I think that stuff makes a difference. And that's, I think that's something parents can take away too, right? Of so now he's, starting, <laughs> yeah, he, he's starting to tell me like he'll catch himself mid-sentence and he is like, daddy, I can't, I'm having troubles or, and I'm like, there you go, buddy. Yeah. I love, so, it. I mean, I love it, dude. I, I make mean, people, I make, I make people that come into the gym, like do all this hand eye. We do a lot of coordination and stuff. And, uh, dude, they like, when they come in, like they can't juggle, they can't like do the basic stuff, but they look at the guys next to him and been there for a year or yeah. two years or five years. And they're doing the craziest stuff ever. And I'm like, look, that dude was just as bad as you, if not worse when he got in here. And the first time they mess up, I'm like, they're like, I can't, I'm like, that word is not allowed. You're not allowed to say it. And literally last night, yeah. one of my, one of my guys who's been with me a couple of years is doing some crazy stuff. And I told him to, all right, let's keep taking it up a notch. And he's, yeah. he literally caught himself. He's like, Vex, I can't. And he just looks at me and I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't do it. if you, yeah, Yes, you right. can. And he's like, I'm getting better at it. Okay. I'm working at it, Jeff. And I'm like, thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Words are powerful, man. Totally, man. Yeah. Oh That's man. Fun. So cool. So, okay. So we've had you on here for quite a bit, but like tying everything together here, how amazing is it? So you go through all of the stuff that you went through. You're, you're from British Columbia you know, you, you have a, a, a tough road, you, you have a tough three years at Brown, things start to click in your, your last year. And then you sign a contract with the freaking Vancouver Canucks, yeah. where, where however, many, huh? however many years earlier, let's call it five, six years earlier, you were told you were never going to play hockey again. And you were sitting in a hospital in that city, not being able to walk for months. Okay. Yeah. So let's fast forward to you sign this contract with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Um, the province that you grew up in. I don't know if you were a Canucks fan growing up or not. 
Yeah. Um, so okay, so you were a Canucks fan growing up. I yeah. want to know. Played in the intermission when I was like seven years old. We come on, in intermission man. So it's like <laughs> this, such I, a big like yeah, it's crazy. I want to know your first game in Vancouver. I want to know what that was like for you, because for me. I probably would have been bawling my freaking eyes out before the game, just oh, like re- reflecting back on all the stuff and living out your childhood dream, especially when it comes with yeah. so much hardship, you know? So I, I want to know what was that first game in Vancouver, like playing in the NHL after yeah, the journey that yeah. you went through, man. It was, uh, it was definitely emotional. Yeah. I don't, I mean, there was a lot of pride and a lot of like reflection for me. And for me, I I was trying to stay in the moment, but like I was consumed with like, like I'm here right now, you know, like after all of that. um, I mean, probably the best part about the story is when I signed and I was at Brown and I called my parents. I had never told them anything. They didn't know. Oh, wow. So like again, I it I came out of this came out of nowhere, really. It did, and uh, so they knew I was having a good year, right? Obviously, and um, they knew I was talking with some pro teams. But for me, like nothing had happened, so I never said anything to anyone. The only guys that knew were my team. So that's probably the best part of the story. Is I called my parents and I said, uh, "They're like, hey, how you doing?" And you know, we were having we were partying after our season ended and and then I signed this contract right and and I said you know how I was telling you I was talking with some pro teams and they said yeah and I said well I was kind of not being totally honest like I'd been talking with like 10 NHL teams all year and they're like what and I'm like yeah I actually I just signed with Vancouver for two years and my dad my dad goes I'm not kidding you he told me to fuck off he's like (laughs) he's like seriously what do you what do you want to tell us I'm like dad I I swear like go you can probably look it up online and he said holy shit I'm like he's like are you kidding me you and I'm like yeah man it's crazy and so that was so emotional man just like sharing that with my parents and like when we were in the burn unit and like that whole thing with them and uh yeah and just that first game it kind of came full circle and just seeing them after the game it like I have a hard time keeping it together even now, just thinking about it. It was so cool. Unbelievable. Did you, did you speed bag somebody that game? No, I ran a few guys over, but I didn't get in a fight until I think game six. Wow. That, that Who was the first fight against? Uh, Sean O'Donnell. Oh, like, wow. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, this so guy, he, this guy had some tellies in the show toe. And I actually just watched the other day after we got off the phone, um, I was watching you fight Mike Brown, who Tove played. No with. way. Yeah. Good Brownie fight, said he'd come dude. on the podcast too, by the way. Good I just saw fight. the other day. He yeah. just added me on uh, on Instagram, or maybe I added him. I can't remember. I saw him <laughs> on there. And I'm like, dude, my nose has been mangled ever since that. Because, yeah, he definitely won the fight. It was a good fight. Like, we good were one. toe-to-toe. And, man, that guy's a bulldog. And he, my face was... Mango. Dude, so I, I played Bantam hockey with Brownie and yeah, yeah oh, I played Bantam hockey with him and um he was like benching 300 pounds at 15 years old. That's not a joke, dude. And I'm That's not, not a joke. Kidding. Yeah, That's for real. 315. Absolute freak in nature, but worked his bag yeah. off. There's a story I've, I've told this on the podcast. Uh, I'll 
I'll tell you the shortened version of it right now. But um, when we were Bantams, he was the last guy picked for our team. So our team was unreal. Like we won the national championship that year. We had like 10 or 11 guys. We, we smoked Vex. We actually played Vex without a goalie the entire without game. Without a goalie and they beat us seven to one. I scored yeah. the empty netter. What's up? Um, but Brownie, Brownie was the last guy and it kind of goes along with what we're saying right now. Like Brownie was, Brownie was the last guy picked for that team. And he was the guy that made it the farthest. He was the only guy in that team that played in the NHL. And, uh, right. and right. so it just kind of crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but, uh, so, you know, playing in Vancouver and then you played in Washington, uh, we have to ask you about a few guys that you played with. I, um, I'm actually reading, um, Brian Burke's book right now. And, oh, yeah. um, so he talked a little bit about the Sedins. What was it like playing with Sedins? Because those are two people that I feel like not enough people know about how good they were. Um, and so what was it like playing with those guys in Vancouver? Was it something that was pretty special? Yeah, it was wild. Just how good a dudes those guys were. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I've never met a bad Swede in my life <laughs> so true they're all such good people i mean and the sedines were just i mean such humble nice guys um always just in a good mood right never a bad day super humble and man you want to talk about like they get a bad a rap especially like you know in that boston series and all that stuff but man these guys are some of the most tough resilient guys you've seen like they get beat every night just beat on right and and just to have the capacity to stay, stay like this, right. Is, um, don't, they don't get enough credit for that. I don't think. And so they were, yeah, they were awesome then to be a part of, I mean, I always tell people I never had a, a sniff getting on the PK in Vancouver and Washington, because I had the sitting stone saucer passes over my head on special teams practice. And then, <laughs> then I got backy feed Novi through my legs in Washington. I mean, I never had a sniff. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so that was actually the last guy that i wanted to ask you about was was ovechkin you got the chance to play with ovi for a couple of years there in yeah. in washington and uh what was it like playing with him yeah he's just such a character man he's such a he's such a fun guy like you want to talk about a guy that just loves the game and loves being around the guys and loves scoring a goal right like yeah he's just he's pretty loose. He likes to have a good time, but he works his, he works his bag off. And I was, I was so happy when they won in 2018 there, you know, cheering for him. You saw the emotion he had, right? Like oh. I'm coming man, And um, they had to go through it the long way, right? Like we talked about, and they had to go through those, those, you know, that adversity and find themselves. And yeah, but he was, uh, he liked to have a good time with the boys and yeah, he's just a great guy, fun guy, hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's just so fun. Like he, he chugs some Dr. Pepper and go score a hat trick. Am I doing something <laughs> wrong here? Like I got to wash and I'm like, it was a bit of a country club when I first got there. And I'm like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And uh, it changed though, after, you know, trots came in and the, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely changed for the better, right. Where guys are more accountable and there was, it was more structure. Right. Um, and then they won shortly after that. And I think it all kind of came together, but very yeah, cool. Very cool. How, how good was Backstrom? I, I don't know if there's somebody that I've ever seen pass the puck the way that he does. It's un, unreal. Yeah, it's, it's stupid. I, I still think he's the most underrated player. Uh, I think a lot of guys say that, right? I mean, maybe not anymore, but even still, I think, yeah, the, the stuff he would do so calmly and still does is just amazing. It's just crazy, man. 
really. Yeah. Oh man. Well, good stuff. Well, before we let you go, you know, you have some pretty cool things going right now. Obviously you, you wrote a book. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, and, and you're also doing some work with, uh, with a lot of people on the mental side of, of the game and the mental side of life as well. So before we let you go, um, if you can talk to our listeners, let them know where they can find you, where they can see you, if you got a website, the book where you can get that and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say go to my website, aaronvalpatty.com pretty straightforward. And yeah, all the info's there. The book's going to be out in the fall. I don't have an exact date yet. Um, everything's lined up to, to hopefully shoot for that. So I would say, yeah, sometime in October. Um, so you can definitely go check that out there. And then, yeah, the coaching business, the visualization specifically, I have a few programs that I offer. And again, it's niched out to visualization and, you know, again, through my experiences and education and what I've, what I've learned and, and gone through. I have a program and I mean, the book talks about it too, but um, there's information on there, you know, speaking, coaching in the book, it's, it's really all there and a little bit more about the story. We, we touched on a little bit of it and uh, the book definitely goes into a lot more. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that out. It's been a fun project. So. Unreal, man. Vex, any, any parting words? This is awesome. Just so excited to read it. And thanks for sharing your story, man. Like absolutely unbelievable. You know, follow this guy on Instagram. Uh, what's your Instagram, Patty? Yeah, it's just at Aaron Ball Patty. Yeah, Very that was simple. something I had to do. I, I wish I would have done that when I played and built a brand, but I'm like, man, a that's, another, years ago. that's another like two hour convo. I tell all of my oh, NHL and pro guys and college guys now too, with, with now they can make money um, in college and stuff too, on, on endorsements and stuff like, dude, it's so important and to be yeah. whoever you are and put out what you enjoy and stuff like that. And, yeah, me neither. Me neither. Yeah. I'm with you, bro. So fo yeah. follow, follow Patty here on Instagram. He puts out great stuff. When I connected with him last week, started to follow him and, and love what he puts out. And the book is obviously going to be an absolute banger. And let's, uh, get Jeff might actually read a book guys. I might actually, to, to, to her. <laughs> uh, it's the, you gotta wait for the audio book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> I'm waiting for the movie, dude. I mean, honestly, like somebody needs to make a movie. Somebody listens to this podcast. I'm sure lives in cali let's call some people let's make patty's life story here i'll just take 20 percent off the top let's get it done you can be the starring actor in it there we go oh, there <laughs> it is all right well thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing your story man very very cool best of luck moving forward with with all the cool stuff that you have going on and anything that we can do to help in the meantime just uh just let us know yeah guys i appreciate it thanks for having me on